Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Triple Crown. I'm Jessie, whose pronouns are she, her. I'm Alicia, my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Rachel, and my pronouns are they, them. So what an insane four days. Two Triple Crown matches, two World Tag Team matches, and a whole lot of drama. A quick side note, if you're looking for our thoughts on the Champion Carnival Finals, which happened in early May, that's in our last episode. This episode is all about Superpower Series. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. was on May 14th. All Japan headed back to Sapporo for the first two shows of the Superpower Series. It's the first time the company has been back since 2019. It was met with a lot of positive response and hopefully they can make this a half yearly or yearly tour. Both nights had a crowd of 533. Now let's get to the wrestling. All Asian Tag Team Champions, Okoto Amore and Yusuke Kadama defeated Noriyuki Yoshida and Tomoya in just over 10 minutes. It was a nice quick match that gave the champs another successful defense, which I think is what they needed. Hometown boy Omori looked great and Kadama getting the pin gave him extra momentum going into the junior title match on day two. Next up, we had Next Dream versus Next Dream, Kento Miyahara and Rising Hayato versus Yuma and Asuki Aoyagi. This ended in a 30-minute draw and I will just say it, it was good, but it didn't need to go this long, especially since not over a month, Yuma and Kento wrestled to a 30-minute draw. They could have had a double countout or a double knockout or something. But other than that, this match was pretty good and really picked up in the second half. Yuma and Kento had a great showing, but I thought the juniors, especially Haito, was the star in this match. So I do agree that the juniors were definitely the stars. Um, I thought that the exchange, especially at the end with Haito and Atsuki, was absolutely phenomenal. I do not agree about the time. I thought it was amazing. (laughs) I didn't even notice that 30 minutes had passed. I like legit gasped when the, the final announcement bell was made. I, I just thought it was really, really quick paced and I thought it was stupendous. So, uh, we disagree a little bit there, but I do agree that the juniors, uh, just stole it away and, uh, Hayato really impressed me, especially, yeah, Hayato and um, Atsuki, they worked their asses off in this oh. match. I mean, they were outstanding. And Hayato needing to be held back at the end and like him and like Atsuki, like really like butting heads and like going at it. That was awesome. Like this was great to set up Kento and and uh, Yuma. They they looked great. It was it was a nice it was a nice match between them as well. But this like like Jesse and, and Rachel were saying, the stars of the show here are Atsuki and Hayato and and really um this is just one example from this tour of show stealing moments from those two so you get that here and then you're going to get that multiple times throughout the tour from them I actually watched the match when I was sick so when I was watching it I was like oh my gosh this is going for so long please end I just want to get to the main event and go to sleep but um, I watched it again when I was feeling better and I still felt the same way. Like, just please. Oh, <laughs> I love Next Dream. You know, they're my favorite faction. So you think I would love this match, but it was great, but it wasn't my jam. 
No, that's super fair. It was interesting to see how um, some people on Twitter were saying that they actually, um, after you know the next show, that they've actually preferred this tag to Yuma and Kento's match, which I thought was really interesting. That's not where I fell in the end. However, I did really enjoy uh, this match. Great setup to Kento and Yuma. And again, um, for me on this particular tour, Hayato and Atsuki were outstanding throughout. And we're going to talk about the many different moments throughout this tour where they really stood out, particularly Hayato. So this is just, you know, day one of them really uh, stepping up on the May tour. Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot to say about next stream towards the end of the episode for certain. But I thought this just showed off a lot of really interesting and exciting dynamics. I was originally in the camp of, I preferred this over the actual triple crown match, but I watched the triple crown match a second time and I did change my mind. Spoiler alert on that one, but I did really, really like this match. It was really good. Probably one of my favorites of the month. The main event of day one was the World Tag Team Championships. Twin Towers, Kohei Sato and Suji Ishikawa defeated Runaway Suplex, Shredder Oshino and Suwama in 18 and a half minutes. Runaway Suplex reign ends at 249 days with three successful defenses. I thought this was great and it was really refreshing to have Suwama in the Ishino role being the one that wrestles the second half of the match and the one that gets the most offense in. Sato and Suji were their brutal selves as always. The four arms by Sato are disgusting. I, <laughs> I love and hate them at the same time. Suwama getting pinned was a bit of a surprise, but it does make sense considering his story. Yeah, I, I like this a lot. And I and I agree with you, Jesse. I think that the best part is that Suwama took the pin over Ashino. Runaway Suplex was started in order to help elevate Ashino within All Japan. So now that we've reached this point where Suwama's taking the pin and Ashino is kind of the one that's still able to sort of stand tall after that sort of exchange, I think that's really important um, in terms of where we are now with Ashino as a wrestler and as a character within All Japan. And Ashino looked really good with Ishikawa in some of these early exchanges. He was just sort of gliding over him in some of those grappling exchanges. Uh, yeah, like you were saying with some of the current Suwama storyline stuff that we were talking about in our last Talking Triple Crown episode, I mean, this development was really fascinating. And there's so much more to discuss about them that we can't get to right now because we're only in day one of the May <laughs> tour. But this sets up so much of the fallout that's going to continue throughout May. And it's actually really interesting to sit and reflect back on this particular match because so much happens rapidly from here uh, with Suwama and with Evolution and Ashino. But yeah, this was a good match. I like that Suwama was the one taking the pin and Sato looks great. It's awesome to have um, him and Shuji with the titles, to be honest. Yeah, it took me a while to warm up to them with the titles, but uh thinking on it, sitting on it. I am really happy that Twin Towers has have the titles. They looked fantastic. Ishikawa and Suwama's like final moments looked really, really good. Suwama took a lot of like some pretty surprising bumps and he looked really vulnerable, uh, which I thought was really cool. Like that just repeating what you guys said that Suwama looked very vulnerable. Ashino looked very, very strong. Suwama took the pin and yeah, I just thought it was a good match. It wasn't my favorite match of the night against so that tag match really stole it for me, but I did think it was a good match. I was very, very upset that runaway suplex lost at first, but now as the story has unfolded, I've warmed up to it. We were correct. It's the matching gear kiss of it death is. every time. Oh, you're right. Oh no. <laughs> we said that last episode. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it is the kiss of death. Jesse called that one right down the middle. Literally the, the beginning of the end. <laughs> can't get matching gear, can't get tag team shirts. Don't do it. Day two was the next day on May the 15th. And before the show starts, we got a promo from Taru from the Voodoo Murders saying he's coming back. Day two really kicked off with a bang. We had next stream members, Rising Hayato and Aski, defeat Total Eclipse, Omore and Honda. Chuck four young guys in, give them 19 minutes and you get a lot of fun. I thought this was really great. They all had a chance to shine. They all look good. The ending with Hayato and Omori was definitely a highlight. And this does lead to an all-Asia title match for next stream in June. Yeah, I love this. I mean, this was incredible energy from all four of them. They really are such talents. And Hayato in particular is on this streak of great performances that really started in the last tour. And um, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, perhaps, but I was concerned about the Sugi defense. And I had had said, I think at the time that he looked a little green and I didn't think that he was actually ready to really be elevated and start to go to the next level. But he's on this streak of performances where you can see that these things are starting to click for him in the ring. And it's fun to watch. And this match is a fantastic example of that. I like that they gave them time. Normally opening matches are like five, six minutes, but they gave them 19 minutes, mm-hmm. which was great because they needed it. Yeah, I was really surprised that this match was as big as it was, as good as it was. And I was literally just thinking on day one, um, who would take the All Asia belts off of Amori and Kodama. And I think we might be looking at them. So I really, really do. I almost can't see anybody else, but fingers crossed. But after this match, I am thoroughly convinced. And one thing I wanted to talk about too, during the month of May, Jake Lee has a few singles matches that lead into the end of the month where things become really important for him. On the 14th, he had a match against Kawamori, And on the 15th, he had a match against Yoshitatsu. And he wins both. And the Kawamori match, I did really enjoy. And I just really enjoyed Takawamori. So really, I was going to be heavily biased with that match regardless. But they worked really well together and their styles complemented each other pretty well. So that was good. With the Tatsu match, though, I did laugh when Yoshitatsu pulled guard on Jake. I thought that was very funny, personally. The thing that bothers me, though, and this is something that we kind of talked about in the last episode, is that Jake goes for the moonsault. And I don't think of any time he's attempted to hit this moonsault. He he really has yet to hit it flush. And I don't know why he needs to hit this moonsault. I don't know how it makes sense with his current character. I think he's taking a lot of risk in terms of injury at this point, trying to incorporate this move into his moveset. It didn't look good trying to hit it against Tatsu. I love this renewed urgency around Jake. And I do like, uh, I did like both of these singles matches, the one against Amori and then this one against Tatsu. I just wish his moveset was consistent. And I talked about in the last episode, how much I loved him using a curb stop against Yuma. That's what I would love to see out of him consistently, not this moonsault, which I don't feel really jives with the character he's trying to portray. So yeah, just some, some thoughts about Jake and where he's at with his moveset and trying to get this moonsault off, which I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, I agree. I wish he would just stick with that curb stomp. It's really good. It works really well for him. I'm not exactly sure. I We talked about it before. I'm not sure why he's dead set on this moonsault, but he seems to be excited to do it. 
Yeah. It's just, it's just funny. Cause it's such a, to me, like a moonsault is such a baby face move. It's like who yeah. I, I associate moonsaults with like Kobashi with Goshiyazaki. I don't associate that with necessarily a, a heel character, unless I'm not thinking of someone in the moment right now with a curb stomp. That's a move that you use to get even. And I think that's really what Jake should be portraying and some of his anger and some of his bitterness, but I don't know. That's just my opinion. I, I, you know, I hope that he figures out the moonsault so that he doesn't hurt himself because that one against Tatsu did not land flush at all. But that's, that's, <laughs> that's how I feel about Jake and the ongoing moonsault saga. I agree. It's very classic psychology that you're describing there is that your baby faces are going to have your high flying moves. That's why a lot of people, when they get injured, go heal because they can't do a lot of those moves anymore. It just works better. And I think what you said about his bitterness and getting even is really inspired and would work really well with that curb stomp. Yeah, I 100% agree. I don't understand where this moonsault came from. Like, why did he decide on this? As you said, it's normally a baby face move, but with things happening further in the month, he could be turning that way. A lot of fans speculate, but we'll get to that later. That's right. Runaway suplex are officially over. After their tag match, Suwama attacked Pashino and declared that they were done. He left with Dan Tamara, who didn't exactly look happy with the situation. Rest in peace, Runaway Suplex. You are too good for this world. Oh, goodness. This was, uh, this is interesting. Just to start, I loved Twin Towers and Takao Amori teaming specifically. This was like a great tag team for me. I actually wish that Amori and Twin Towers would team together more often. I think that would be awesome. And I'm, I am going to say too about this, about this match in particular, before I even talk about the, the evolution drama, Dan worked hard, but he doesn't benefit from always working with the older guys. This is going to become more apparent when you are looking at like Atsuki, Hayato, uh, Ruki Honda, and uh, Hokoto Amori, the younger guys that get to work together all the time consistently they're putting on incredible matches all the time and really showing their strengths and their growth and what they've been able to do in a short period of time. Dan never gets to do that because he's always working with an older set of guys. Dan is so behind to me compared to the other younger guys in all Japan. And he works hard. It's just that I don't think he benefits all the time from being separated from his peers. That's what I'm I'm trying to get at. And I felt this way in this match. But yeah, this is where I started to get confused about where this angle was headed because I was surprised with the way that Ashino looked when they lost the tag belts. I did not expect Suwama to be the one kicking Ashino out and basically being like, you go away and then taking Dan with him. That's not how I expected that to fall out at all. So that's where I started to get kind of confused about where the angle was going, because I didn't think that it would be Suwama walking away with all the power and Ashino being the one on the outs again, which is how he was when Anfants broke up and they created Total Eclipse. And it was like, well, where's Ashino going to go from there? So that really did surprise me. That was a, that was definitely interesting. Not what I was expecting at all, but compelling because I'm very, very invested in what's going on with Suwama and the fallout of all of this. But yeah, I think one of the things I walked away with for sure is that I care a lot about Dan and his direction in all Japan, but I don't think he benefits from working with the older guys all the time. That's really interesting because I also felt that Dan had fallen behind his peers, but I couldn't place why. So that's a really interesting way to think about it. And I think you're probably right. 
that um, you see it in that excellent, you know, match that starts off the show with Hokuto Mori and Riki Honda and Haito and Atsuki really showing off against each other because they work together, because they work together so much, they work together so well, where Dan doesn't really get that. I didn't even think about it that way. So that was really good insight there. As far as runaway suplex is concerned, uh, to say inconsolable is an understatement. I was absolutely, <laughs> oh, I woke up, I slept through the show uh, because I had a long drive in the morning and I was just, I was a wreck. I was absolutely a wreck. I did not understand why. I did not get why Suwama was the one, like you said, I didn't understand why Suwama was the one who attacked Oshno. I was 100% convinced that they had just geeked Oshno and then left him alone again and that they wouldn't do anything with him. I was thankfully wrong, but when this happened, I just, I couldn't be convinced that this was going anywhere good. I'm very glad that they proved me otherwise, but uh, it was compelling. I'll leave it at that. It was, it was compelling. I was compelled. I was just very, uh, very sad. Next up, we have the junior heavyweight title match. Hikaru Sato defeated Yusuke Kadama. I thought this was another great defense from Sato. Kadama was great as well. In big matches, he really does step up, but he still acts like the gremlin we all know and love. Sato won in 17 and a half minutes. After the match, Sato got on the mic and announced who he hoped to challenge next. And it was Tiger Mask from New Japan. Tiger Mask accepted later that day. I think Sato's reign has been excellent and the Tiger Mask match should hold up to the rest of his other defenses. This match was excellent. And what was nice is that like Kodama was so on form here. He's been on a streak with the tag belts and putting in some really nice performances, but it was so great to see him in such a convincing singles performance because he's a really great, strong wrestler. So this was awesome. When Kodama, he took that kick and he like, came back with a forearm after bouncing against the ropes that looked super cool. But what was awesome from Sato was that German into the key lock, which is what got him the win. I mean, that was so like just seamless, fluid, awesome. I mean, I think that was, that was awesome. This match just fucking rocked to be honest with you. I love this. This might be so far my favorite defense of Sato's. I, I just, I love this match. I was just thinking that, you know, a rain is great when you are looking forward to it ending so you can rank all of the matches and that's really the only reason I would be looking forward to this ending I hope he has a very long reign but I'm very excited to sit down and rank all of the matches because they've all been fantastic and this is not an exception it's it's really really good like you said Kanam is just great and I love that um brutal whiplash neckbreaker outside of the ring um just before he uh brings Sato under was really a standout he just he had great selling and uh, I thought Kadama really shined and then obviously like you said Sato is just a force to be reckoned with that finish was incredible psychology was great like it's, it, go out of your way to watch this match it's seek it out it's just really really fun Sato is definitely what the juniors needed after like the crappy year they had last year with the hot potato of the belt, just have Sato as the main focus of the new division and having great match after great match is exactly what they needed. And I love, like I said before, Kadama steps up in big matches and he still did here, but he still like pulled Sato under the ring. He yeah. still had his little creepy moments, which is what <laughs> I love. He didn't lose his personality, but he still wrestled great. All right, so now let's talk about this main event, the Triple Crown Championship match 
Kento versus Yuma. Now, Kento defeated Yuma in just under 33 minutes, but let's talk about this match. Jesse, do you want to start us off? Of course I do. I love this match so much. If you know me, like Kento and Yuma is my number one feud, closely followed by a feud I will talk about later in the match. But I love this match. It's honestly my match of the year so far. Like just the story these two have with each other and the story of where they came from. Like when I started watching All Japan, Yuma was definitely a sidekick. He didn't look anywhere close to even like touching the triple crown belt. Like he was just, he was a pin eater for Kento, really. Um, His first match with Kento against the triple crown, there was no way he was winning. It was literally just another defense for Kento. Yuma came out and he looked nervous as hell. He had a new costume on, but he didn't even look like he deserved to wear that. He was just... He was nowhere near um, the level of this match. This match, Yuma was like, he did like a whole 180. He was completely different. He looked like he could win the belt. He was just so good. And once again, he faced Kento for the belt and he had a new costume. It was like his thing. When he faces Kento, he gets a new costume. But he looked like he could win the belt. He looked like he can lead all Japan. He looked like the person to dethrone Kento. I'm going to let you talk. I'll shut up for a second. I I completely agree with you. I think Yuma looked like a star. The new costume was incredible. That made me really emotional when I saw him and he, you know, he came out in his new costume with his the slogan he liked so much on the back. He just looked outstanding. It was wonderful. And this some of the spots in this match were just so intense. I loved that sequence where they were just punishing each other with forearms until they could hardly stand. I mean, like stuff like that was just really thrilling. And my favorite part of the match is actually, I think it was toward the end, Yuma was almost not able to stand. These two were punishing each other so much, but Kento is so fascinating. And this is, I think, one of the things I love about Kento the most. He doesn't want to win on a count out. He needs Yuma to get up. So he's literally screaming at Yuma to get up. And he had done that previously as well. He's done that recently. And I think like that is so fascinating to me because again, Kento really believes he is the best of the best, but he can't be the best of the best if he's beating Yuma on a count out, something where like Yuma just can't stand up. So the ref counts and then that's it. He needs Yuma to stand up and he has to beat Yuma one-on-one like that. And I think that really is so important and integral to the story that those two are telling with each other. So that was really my favorite. I think like at one point it looked like he almost sent like Hayato over to check on Yuma to get him up, which was really sort of incredible to me. And even like their near falls were so scary. I watched this on delay. I didn't watch it live. So I knew going into it who won. But even in my watching of it, knowing who won, those near falls were still getting me because they were were just so intense and so scary. But yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with you, Jesse. I mean, this match was outstanding. This will certainly, I think, be high up there for me at the end of the year in terms of matches I'm looking back on and and, and what I enjoy. And I, I really loved this for them. And I think even in defeat, Yuma walks away looking like a champion, so to speak. Yuma doesn't lose anything here in the way that he lost. And their interactions at the end are interesting 
Yuma is looking for the handshake and Kento still won't give it to him. You know, it doesn't feel like a bad thing. You know, I don't think we're going to talk about all of the next stream fallout that happens towards the end of the month, obviously. But that interaction between them didn't feel kind of awful either because Yuma, um, when Yuma gets that handshake, it's going to be when he finally dethrones Kento and that's going to feel just outstanding. And I do genuinely believe that we're going to see that this year. Yeah, this match was perfect. It was an absolutely incredible match. The storyline was just really, really good. I do want to talk about that moment that you were talking about, Alicia. I actually, the way I read it was that Yuma was sort of laying a trap for Kento and sort of luring him by almost faking a pass out, which to me led to a lot of um, Yuma's cleverness um, towards that end of the match where, you know, you see him sort of putting all his weight during that first shutdown suplex where he puts on his weight on to prevent Kento's bridge. And so there's just this cleverness to him, but I want to take it back. Do you think that Yuma was sort of taking advantage of that, character trait that you were talking about with Kento where he doesn't want to defeat them when they are down he wants to defeat them at their best do you think Yuma knew that and was taking advantage of it I think so I mean I and Jesse I think could probably attest to this too and 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 what you just said as well Yuma is extremely smart he's clever and like that's a part of his that's a part of his character traits right and he knows Kento better than anyone. So of course he's going to use that against Kento in order to try to get that win. So I think it's a beautiful bit of character work from both of them, just like the most pure, like Kento and Yuma right there in that moment. I think that's why that moment just stands out to me in my mind and works so well and why that match is going to end up standing up against, you know, other matches for me at the end of the year is because it's just beautiful character work from the both of them and just storytelling that only they can do. It's so unique to them and their relationship and unique to all Japan. I'm glad we read that the same way because I was really blown away. I thought that was incredible character work and from both of them, especially as you were talking about Kento there. But I thought that really showed off some really uh, great cleverness almost connivingness from uh yuma or as uh, jesse always says cheekiness <laughs> because he, he is quite a quite a cheeky man but I, I thought he looked like an absolute star i thought he looked like an upcoming ace i really really do i do want to talk about that spot i know he's done it a couple of times now i think the first time he did it was against jake in the champion carnival last year and it worked he got the pin but um i'm like okay yuma's He's faking being passed out again. The one time I actually thought he was legit passed out was when he versed Nomura because of the referee. Nikan Lee, her saying Yuma was just so soft and so like a mum would say if their child got injured, like, oh my God, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) So when he did this against Kento, I was like, okay, well, Kento should know this by now. This is what Yuma does. This is how he gets, you know, one up on you. This is how he gets close to a win or actually a win. So I thought, okay, Kento, you know, you're going to be a little bit smart now. You've seen you do this a hundred times, but he fell for it like everybody else does. But I was reading um, Captain Lou's review and he said Kento used to do something similar to this in his reign. And I thought, oh, that's, then that's like a really nice, you know, full circle. Yeah, and now that's great. He's doing that. Yeah, you saw um, Yuma doing some of Kento's like headbutts and moves during the match. So there's uh, definitely something to that. So I think Captain Lou's on to something. And to your point, Jesse, Kento is, 
it's fascinating because we've talked about on this podcast that Yuma and Kento has evolved to a point where Kento respects him and Kento has, has had these wonderful moments where he's shown such overt respect to Yuma, but he will still have those moments where he will look past someone like Yuma. And that is in, that is a great example of that, where in that moment, he's looking past Yuma and not thinking, oh, like he's, he has to be like passed out, right? Like he's looking right past Yuma and not realizing just how clever Yuma can be. He's underestimating him. So I think that's what you can kind of read that as as well, to your point. Yeah, and I thought Kento was kind of smug in victory. He was kind of shoving the belt in Yuma's face or when he was down on the ground, like holding the belt over Yuma. I just thought he was being very smug and he didn't need to be that smug, but it's Kento. It's how he is. But I thought he'd be like a little bit kinder to Yuma since they've been through so much, like for years they've been through so much, but it's Kento being Kento. I agree with you, Jesse. When I, when I envisioned what that would look like if Kento won, I didn't necessarily think he would be like quite like that. But at the same time, because we, you know, we'll talk more. We, but we still think that Yuma is potentially going to be the challenger at the Budokan. Having Kento still act like that now will make the moment where he finally shakes Yuma's hand that much better. It'll be that much sweeter. So that's why it doesn't bother me that he was acting like that, that he was just being Kento Miyahara. That doesn't bother me because when we get the payoff, it's going to feel like that much better. The last thing I want to say about this match is please watch it. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> to be on this journey. And I hope you understand how long this journey has been and it it shows just just watch this please watch this <laughs> we move on to day three which was may 25th and for a show that seemed like a road to slash house show it really came through with the drama first up blackman Ray and izanagi both announced they want a shot at the gora tv title champion shigahiro iria accepted and said it doesn't matter which one he faces a three-way match has he made for this month don't count Black Mensa Ray out so quickly. He is actually a four-time Goro TV champion. Yuma defeated Ricky Honda in nine minutes. This was a nice competitive match, and I thought that it kept Yuma warm, which was sort of the point. Honda looked good here. And as we're going to talk about and find out later, Honda sort of being on a bit of a losing streak coming off the carnival, coming into mid-May, so to speak, or end of May, so to speak, that also had a point. We're going to see that. We're going to talk about that. But uh, I was interested in the fact that he was, you know, coming off of the carnival still. He did well. He had those tags and whatever. And then he's coming into this match with Yuma and losing to Yuma. And I was wondering if that was going to lead to anything with him, especially as we talked extensively last month about some of the interactions between him and Jake that we didn't quite understand, uh, him and Ashino that we didn't quite understand. And now we know that it does go somewhere. But yeah, so I was, I was, I thought this was a good little win for Yuma. It's a good little match. It's not like the most exciting match of the card, but it is, you know, something you can check out, especially if you're a big Honda fan and the, you know, Honda being on this losing streak does lead to something. So that's interesting to reflect on in hindsight. It was a competitive was the right word. Um, I was surprised. I guess I should stop being surprised that they are doing this uh, competitive 50, 50 sort of matches booking with Honda where he loses, but he does always look good in defeat. He always does look strong. I don't know why that still surprises me. Maybe I also sort of see him still as a rookie, much like uh, Jesse sometimes <laughs> um, talks about. But uh, yeah, no, I thought uh, Yuma looked very confident. He looked great and uh, very strong. And then uh, there were some really good 
really good near falls. Um, there was like this one really surprising kick out at 2.99. That was really enjoyable. I thought it was a fun little match. I will say though, when I saw the card for this show, I was a bit confused why Yuma isn't teaming with Kento. So I thought, okay, is something up with that? Like they just had the triple crown match. Is that, you know, they still got tension. So this was kind of scary for me. Like, oh my gosh, this is something happening with Yuma. But yeah, as you said, it was a nice little match. We'll get into what happens with Honda and Yuma very soon. But for now, yeah, it was a nice match. Suama versus Jake ended in a DQ. This match didn't even make it to five minutes. Voodoo Murders member Toshihizo came out first before Suama burst through the curtains in full Voodoo Murders gear and had his blonde hair dyed red. He attacked Dan, who was at ringside in his corner, before bringing a chair into the ring and being disqualified. In a post-match beatdown, it was Yuma who came to Jake's aid, chasing off Voodoo Murders. He asked for a tag match, but before saying more, Sato grabbed the mic and said that he knows how Yuma feels, but let him go first. Ashino came out next, and Sato asked him to join up against Suama. Ashino accepted, and now will team with Dan and Sato to take on Voodoo Murders in the next show. Jake has stated on Twitter the person he wants to beat most is Suama. This post-match was phenomenal. It was incredible. First off, Dan needs an award for his acting here. Like, I was crying with him. He did such a phenomenal job. All of them did. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about... uh, Jake and Yuma, that was really fascinating. Yuma coming out to Jake's aid was just so interesting. And uh, the way Jake was stumbling off, I'm sure Alicia has a lot to say about that in particular. And then you have Sato grabbing the mic. And that was also a really emotional, it's just a really high drama, high emotion, like post-match. And then you have this moment with Ashno and Sato agreeing to work together after this sort of on and off feud storyline, like two kids just sort of elbowing each other all the time and they shake each other's hands and they're totally 100% willing. They are comrades now and they shake each other's hands. I was fully bought in, super excited to see this happen. It was a really great callback to their October match where they absolutely could not get along and Dan sort of forces them together and all three are holding, shaking hands together. They bring Dan in. It was just a really, really good callback. It completely wrecked me. It gave me such good emotions and I thought it was just a perfect little post-match. I really did. The layers to this was utterly fascinating. And I think that All Japan is just really good at these types of post-matches and and situations. I immediately thought of what happened with the end of Enfants and the birth of Total Eclipse and how they played that out in the ring. All Japan are just good at this, and it speaks to the quality of of the wrestlers and the work that they put in to make these moments work, because this could be really cheesy and really badly done in the hands of a different promotion, but... All Japan makes it work. And that's why it's so compelling. Dan, with the acting of the year during this, I mean, like Dan really was um, incredibly compelling. And I will say too, I did like that, like little bit of Suama and Jake that we got before it devolved into chaos. (laughs) 
I was very much invested in that before it devolved into chaos. I thought that Jake looked really good there. So yeah, I'm, I'm utterly fascinated by Yuma coming out to save Jake immediately. You start to think of the first incarnation of, of next stream. Right. And that, and those relationships and their relationship to each other there. I, I did love Jake stumbling off while all the chaos was happening. That just was it added to the, the drama for me. I can't wait to see, and to discuss more with you guys how uh, this inter- the interactions between Yuma and Jake keep playing out, especially because we'll, we'll talk about this too. Yuma has been saying a lot of things about Jake. He's also been saying a lot of things about Naya Nomura. So there's a lot at play here that I find utterly fascinating. And I loved that moment between Ashino and Sato and Dan. I thought it looked great. We're also going to talk about how that turns out by the end of the month. But there was a lot to uh, there was a lot to enjoy about this. And there's going to be a lot to say, too, about voodoo murders as we get into the final show of the month as well. I have some opinions about that, but I'm going to I'm going to save them for the next one. Dan absolutely broke my heart. Oh, I felt so bad for him. I wrote on Twitter, like, let me fly to Japan just to beat up Suama for making Dan cry. He was great in his role. And I think, like you said, like he's been left behind, but I think this storyline could push him forward. Yeah, I almost said when you were talking about how he was being left behind, I was like, yeah, but he's the actor of the year. He's, (laughs) he definitely stole some of the show. We'll see. Like, I think that like, I was very impressed by his ability to, to act in that moment to, you know, to work through that. I am still concerned uh, well, I'll talk about it more when I talk about my my full opinion on voodoo murders um <laughs> I'm concerned about the the people that he'll be continuing to work with through the storyline I think it'll it'll take some time to um to get Dan to where he needs to go I actually wasn't watching this show live I was just checking Twitter every now and then to see you know what happened who won blah 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 and I think Smiley put on Twitter like so I'm in voodoo murder gear I was like what the happening like I, I caught on AJPW TV and I was like oh my god like what is this because you know he was supposed to face voodoo murders in the next show and here he is being part of voodoo murders so this surprised me a lot Yuma coming out surprised me Dan crying his eyes out surprised me like this whole match was like a big surprise I wish I could say that I was still surprised I think when I realized that I couldn't get an evolution t-shirt, but I could get a voodoo murders t-shirt in the all Japan store. I started to realize that we were being bamboozled and it wasn't going to just be one night only for voodoo murders. So that's where my surprise was sort of, um, you know, withheld, I suppose, but I don't know. I really wish I had listened to you while you were talking about that. Like I really, really wrote it off, but you were on to something and you were right. And I was wrong. And I apologize. (laughs) <laughs> I was surprised because they had the match set, which was Evolution versus Voodoo Murders. And the fact that Swam was like, I can't remember being in Voodoo Murders in Champion Night 3. Like, that didn't happen. What are you talking about? So I'm like, okay, well, maybe he's done. Maybe Voodoo Murders is done, but they came back. <laughs> Main event time, and we had the Strongheart team beat Next Stream in 22 minutes. With Kento on one team and Teok on the other, this was a very loud match. It was a good preview match for the Triple Crown, but um, yeah, it wasn't fantastic. I think with the drama that happened in the match before, this kind of got left to the side, but it was still good. And the Strongheart boys are really, really fun to have around. 
I really liked Kenta like getting super excited and jumping onto like the ring post. Like that looked kind of fun. He just looked like he was enjoying himself. So there's that. And Hayato stood out once again. So it's good for that, but not the most exciting pre-match. Yeah, the uh, pre-match from Yuma and Kento sort of outshone that this month. Um, It was fine. It was cute. There were some really nice little comedic moments, like you said, with Kento, Hayato. It was good. Everyone had good chemistry. Nothing, uh, nothing really to complain about, but I think you were on to something, Jesse, with the uh, previous segment, just sort of taking the wind out a little bit of the sails that you just really high on the drama that you can't really focus on the uh, following match. The last day of the tour happened on the 29th of May. Voodoo Murders, Minoru and Toshizo defeated Black Man Sarai and Izanagi in just under nine minutes. I think it's great having Minoru back. That's all I want to say. It's crazy how talented he is. That diving double foot stomp looked gross in a good way. I was really into him brushing off Izanagi at the end too. I just like that he has like no like respect for any of them. And I think that's all. It looked awesome. I'm really a fan of him. I think he he's great. I will talk in a few minutes about my full opinion, like I've been hinting at on Voodoo Murders. But if we were to keep one person around from Voodoo Murders, it would certainly be um, Minoru, like hands down. There's like, there's no questions there. I need him to stick around just long enough to get a Sato defense in. I need to see that match. And that will, I can, I can do away with all of Voodoo Murder after that. We just stick around for that one match and then we're good. I feel like they gave us these two voodoo murder teammates to be like, hey, voodoo murders is good, yeah? Like, look at these two. <laughs> so, like, kind of distract us, like, uh, look at the people in the other voodoo murders match that we'll talk about. But moving on, we had next stream, Aski, Haito, and Yuma. They defeated Omore, Honda, and Yusuke Kadama in nine minutes. And this match was so, so good. Now, once again, the juniors outshone everybody. The juniors were... Absolutely outstanding. I mean, I'm so like, I, we just keep talking about Hayato. I'm so proud of him specifically. This match, he was outstanding. There was some great stuff from Atsuki here, who is consistent and he's been consistent for a while because I've been singing his praises since his match with Sato that set up Sato's reign, <laughs> actually. But they were both fantastic in this. This group just works so well together. They are gelled together and it, it just, they're incredible. That end sequence was such a fucking cool end sequence. I mean, that like, that popped me when I was watching it. I mean, it was fucking awesome. They're getting so innovative together and it's so cool to Jesse's point earlier from some of the earlier May shows, these guys are getting time to showcase how talented they are. And I think it speaks to the direction that all Japan is going to be moving in. And we're going to talk about that too, as we wrap up this episode. I have nothing to say that you guys didn't say this match was absolutely fantastic. Just under 10 minutes, please, please, please watch it. If you want a taste for the all Japan juniors, um, just the young guard of all Japan coming up people to keep an eye on this match is the one you want to seek out because it shows off just how well they all work together. They all obviously love working together, which is just great to see. So please, please check it out. And what we know now about Yuma and the end of this show, this match is special oh. now since <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get into it. We'll get I into mean, it that later, didn't hit but... me. <laughs> 
before that, Jake Lee defeated Tajiri in seven and a half minutes. And this was Jake Lee's last single match of the month. Every match was single, but he won again. It was a lot of grappling. It was okay. This match was fascinating. And again, I watch, I watch pretty much everything on delay. I knew what happened going into this with Tajiri. But to watch this, there's a lot of like respect between these two to start, like an unusual amount of respect for like a little singles match on the show to start between these two, which is really interesting. And I want to say that Jake's grappling is just so smooth and it's just nice to watch him work. But this was too much offense for Tajiri. Like this was very generous for Tajiri. Ultimately, I liked this fine because again, I just like watching Jake grapple. But even with the length, this was way too generous for Tajiri. He got way too much offense in against someone who's supposed to be like one of All Japan's top stars. Now, I found this out not watching the show live before I was going to bed while the show was happening live, but I translated Tajiri's tweet. (laughs) And he announced that he had left Total Eclipse and was joining the main unit, which I thought was utterly fascinating not something I think that any of us probably could have predicted either because we had been talking about like what's going to happen with Honda what's going to happen with Jake what's going to happen with even like a more even talking like now for weeks about the different shifting members and priorities potentially of Total Eclipse but Tajiri was not who we thought would be leaving Total Eclipse and moving back into main army which honestly I think is probably a, um, a good spot for Tajiri I don't think he needs to be in Total Eclipse if you take that news and you and you put that against those like shows of respect in the beginning, but also at the end of the match where they were like very much like a little bit of like a little emotional, like between the two of them, which was just so interesting. And there was like these moments of like watching Jake's expressions were like, he's very hard to read. I found that really interesting. And I, I, I don't know, I don't necessarily have a, a great read on, on what those facial expressions meant and why there was so much respect into Jerry just leaving total eclipse. And still kind of thinking through some of that, but it was interesting to sort of flag these different moments during the match and reflect on them, knowing that Tajiri immediately announced that he had left Total Eclipse after the match. Yeah, I don't have any more insight than you do, but it was very interesting, especially since you had this feeling that Tajiri was almost like an underboss of Total Eclipse, almost like not really a puppet master, but sort of a bit of a mastermind um, behind it and it's obviously total eclipse will survive without him I think you're dead on with saying that the main unit is probably the best place for him but uh, it, it is interesting to think about uh, Jake's relationship with Tajiri that we didn't quite get a hold on and I still don't really know what to read out of it after Jake won Yuma came out he wants to tag team with Jake he wants to liven up all Japan and he thinks Jake's a person to do it with so This conversation was really interesting because Jake acknowledges that he owes Yuma one for saving him from Suwama and voodoo murders, but he makes it very clear that they are not friends. And that I really like. It's great. I love the tension. I love that this is going to continue to build to something. We don't know what it's going to build to yet. And again, it, you know, I, I'm very, very interested in Yuma's comments about him and that calling back to wanting to liven up all Japan. It makes me think about really what the the core belief and messaging behind Next Stream was supposed to be about, right? So you're calling back into that. And then when you kind of contextualize all of that with some of the things that Yuma is saying about Nomura, 
who is not wrestling for All Japan right now. He's in Gone Pro. There's something going on. I don't know if what's going on, Omura is going to end up being a work, calling him a basement champion, calling all that stuff up. But it's very interesting that Yuma right now is talking about Nomura and involving him in what's going on in all Japan right now in a way, even though Nomura is not there and then trying for this partnership with Jake, it just feels very compelling. And it does feel as if all Japan is trying to diversify their main event. And again, with, when it comes to at least Nomura, keep him in our mind while at the same time establishing that there's more than just Kento in the main event. And we have these other players as well, including Yuma, including Jake. So this partnership is just fascinating to me. I'm, I'm really, really interested to see where it kind of ends up. What I thought was weird is that Yuma's calling out former Next Dream members. And what we know now, I'm just like, it's a bit, I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but I just thought it was a bit weird that they're both former Next Dream members. They both left. Voodoo Murders defeated Evolution and Ishino in 13 minutes. I felt so sorry for Dan. He had it worse. They put a dog collar on him and it had a chain and they, you know, walked him around the ring. It was embarrassing for him. It was complete dominance by Voodoo Murders. They had a lot of shenanigans, of course. It's what they do. Uh, After the match, Evolution asked Ishino for his help again and he responded with no. I agree with you, Jesse. I mean, it was just sad to watch like Suwama stomp on Dan alone. And then they introduced this collar and like, I don't like collars. They're not my thing in professional wrestling. So they put the collar on Dan and I'm like, Jesus Christ. So, uh, and like Dan worked his ass off all things considered, like he worked really hard in this match. But like I said before, I'm not sure this is all entirely to his benefit when we think about what his peers are doing on the same exact card. You know, I just don't think it's the best showcase of Dan and what he can potentially do, but I don't know, maybe this, this, like we were talking about before, this might be able to build to something for Dan. I don't want to be completely negative about it before it even really gets started, but I didn't love this. And like Jesse was saying, there's a shit ton of cheating and interference here. And that's just part of voodoo murder shtick. You can't like really get around it. But where things become really frustrating to me very quickly, and like Rachel is going to start screaming because I I talk about this all the time about wrestling. When the ref gets compromised, that's when I get like livid. And like, it just takes me out of the experience of watching wrestling. And they're like, they're fucking around with the ref the whole time. But then they just completely remove the ref from the match. (laughs) And that's the shit in wrestling that like makes me so mad because now you don't, there's no match. Now, like, like, I don't know why the bell keep wouldn't just start ringing the bell and that's it. And like, they can continue and do whatever they want after that, but this is no longer a match. Like that's when you, when you start to mess with the refs in that way, I become incredibly disinterested in what is going on. So that's, that that's, what's going to be, I think my, my problem with voodoo murders and, and why I'm hopeful that this, that the angle that they're doing right now is going to end up being short-term. I do believe that they will probably be around until the Budokan. That is my general feeling about where Voodoo Murders is going. I know that we know people who are hoping they'll be gone as soon as Oda Ward. I'm not that optimistic. I think we're going to be stuck with them until the Budokan. I don't think that these the storylines between Suwama and Sato and Dan and Ashino. I mean, this is like, and now Jake as well. It's it's all very widespread amongst these different players. That's not going to play itself out by Ota Ward. We, like, this is going to, I think, have to go until the Budokan. So 
that's, I think where we're going to be with them, but that's just going to be the thing that gets me every time is the amount of interference that then compromises the ref who is there to hold the integrity of a wrestling match. That's just, that's just my thing. But I thought it was great that a fan was like telling Suama to basically fuck off on the way out of the, I love that. I think that's so great on the way out of the event, the venue that was really good, but I was just very mixed about this to be sure, because like anything long-term with them is going to just drag because of their match style. And this is, this is, but this is them, right? We can't be that surprised. Voodoo murders, like this is what they do, but it's not going to feel good. And again, like, I just keep thinking about like, what is a good use of Dan's time and what is going to advance Dan as a wrestler? I don't think it's going to be this type of wrestling. Yeah. I could not have said that any better myself. That's really, really sad to think about. I was also one of those that was very optimistic about Oda Ward being the end of it, that they just get Sawama's soul back from Voodoo Murders and everything is perfectly fine and evolution goes back to being evolution. But that's probably a little too optimistic, especially when you figure in Jake and Yuma have ties to Sawama too, like what Jesse was saying, is that the person that Jake wants to defeat the most is Suwama. So you have a lot of moving parts going on in the storyline, which is very, very interesting. It's really compelling. And as a storyline, just as a storyline, there's a lot of really cool stuff here. As far as matches go, this is not it. <laughs> this is not something that I am going to put into my spreadsheet. And I would be absolutely shocked if it ends up in anybody else's. And Ashino leaving Dan and Sato it does feel more in character for him than what he's been doing for a very long time. I know like a lot of us, when he started working with Suwama and evolution, a lot of us were very concerned about like the character changes for him, him losing Anfants, him becoming Suwama's bag boy. Like what does all that mean for him? And like a lot of us quickly changed our tune and seeing how much that partnership with Suwama was working for him, how effective it was, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone, you know, we like runaway suplex, but him deciding to leave Dan and Sato, that did feel more in character. That did feel like the Ashino that we that we know, right? Coming into all of this. I don't like that they gave us that great moment with them though, the three of them, only to like rip it away so quickly. That doesn't make any sense to me. And that actually feels like more consistency from all Japan's booking than anything else. Like that doesn't surprise me in that in that way. I just don't know why they made that decision I guess that's it just makes me feel sad because it's so sudden and I had like been trying to make sense of the storyline when they gave us that moment between the three of them and I thought I had in my head what was going to happen then they ripped it away from me and now I'm like lost but I I guess you know I understand they might want to keep evolution alive for when Suama you know turns back from the monster he is right now but this is it's weird because this is simultaneously the right and saddest decision for Ashino, right? If you've become attached to him as a part of Runaway Suplex and as a part of like evolution by proxy, that this is going to feel shitty. But if you, if you are a fan of Ashino, him saying no to this is going to feel great. And it's also probably the right thing to do for him to advance in all Japan in the long run as well. I agree. I think you said it really well. This feels like a reset on his character. It almost feels like a very all Japan-esque retcon 
where they sort of um, just dial him right back. And it's, it's sad because you're watching all of this character development he's had, which is, that's what it is. It's, it's this character development. He finds, you know, a partnership with Suwama. He finds someone he wants to impress and then he works his way up. He impresses him. He becomes the star of the group. He sort of works his way into slowly becoming friends with Dan and Sato. And uh, if you're getting attached to that, then you like seeing this. And then you have this beautiful moment between the three of them. Oh, this is a climax to their care to his character arc. And maybe he'll become the new leader of evolution or it will become something else. And this is going to be great for him. Um, there was a way forward to keep that character in line with what he was doing and still elevate him in all Japan. So to that end, I can't agree with this. But on the other hand, and you said this exactly well, this is Ashino. This is Wrestle One's Ashino. This is just his character as we know him, as he entered All Japan. And it's really, really enjoyable to watch. We'll watch that. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But uh, it's delightful to see him back uh, sort of on the wagon in that sort of character. But it's really sad to see them just sort of strip away, uh, yeah, a, over a year worth of character development. Yeah, I agree with both of you. Like what you said was on point. I feel bad for Dan and Sato. They're kind of just like left out there by themselves. They don't really have friends. But with Ashino, I thought he would face Tawama at Champions Night 4. I thought he would take this feud with Suwama further than he did, which was like one show. I thought he would blame him for the loss of the belts and then turning um, evil with voodoo murders again. I thought he would get back at Suama, but obviously not, as we will shortly see. Like you said, there is a perfect way forward there. <laughs> That's a really, really easy way. Uh, so basically hire Jesse to book all Japan. So that's really well said. And it's just disappointing to see, but it's nice to know that they see some value in Ashino. And honestly, I think this will be good for Sato. Hopefully they'll figure out something for Dan, but I do think that this is um, going to be a good chance for Sato to show off his acting props because he's actually quite good as well with character work, as you've seen with the uh, comedy of the honors student Suwama uh, sort of backstages. And then now uh, with him, hitting those emotional high points with this feud. After that, we had Twin Towers defeat Total Eclipse after 15 beautiful and brutal minutes. This was a great first defense for the champs. Everyone looked amazing, and the strength shown by the challengers was absolutely insane. Kuma and Suji had a great final battle before Kuma was pinned. It would be nice to finally see Kuma and Doi win the belts. Like They have challenged so many times. They really deserve a run. But I thought this match was great. The Falcon Arrow by Sato was, like, perfect. See, like, your opinion, Jesse, of it and, like, some other people's I was reading on Twitter, like, make me feel like I might need to rewatch it or something, like, remove from watching it right after, like, the voodoo murders stuff, I guess. I didn't like this match, actually. I thought that it lacked energy in places. I wasn't, like, and, I, and I'm a huge fan of Kuma and Koji Doi, but I just felt like Koji Doi was a little off sometimes. And there was whatever he wanted to do with Sato at one point coming out of the corner with Kuma 
assisting looked really scary. Like they didn't have it and they, they got it off, but like whatever they were trying to do, like that didn't really work, but I loved watching Sato. He's, he's great. Um, he's such a dangerous, versatile wrestler and it does come across really well in that match. But I thought like, for me, just like, I can't believe actually that it was only like 15 minutes long. Cause for me, that match dragged a little bit. Uh, yeah, I just, I did, I did not like this one, but I'm wondering if I do need to go back and revisit it. I was firmly in the middle. <laughs> I, I thought it was fine. I, um, did space out a little bit during it. So I think probably I'm towards the side of Alicia where it didn't really light me on fire. It was, it was fine. I thought, um, Sato and Doi had some really, really nice little exchanges. Um, I thought Shuji looked great. He's been looking great lately. Um, he definitely had some, uh, really good, like you said, beautiful and brutal, uh, moments, but other than that, it's, it was just okay. I was a little disappointed. I definitely expected way more from this match. And, um, I really, really just want to see, uh, Kuma and Doi with those belts and I think it'll happen but I'm getting a little impatient like you said Jesse they've challenged so many times uh, and it just sort of feels like it's not going to happen and that would be very disappointing because they're really really phenomenal together they've got that great t-shirt too <laughs> I want that t-shirt it's so good maybe that's it maybe that's why they didn't win it's the t-shirt curse same as the matching gear after the match Ashina came to the ring to say, as a former tag champion, he wants another shot. He introduced his new allies, who are Sego Tachibana and Riki Honda. <laughs> he say they will win the six-man tournament happening this month, then go on to challenge the belts with Honda. Okay, so I know that I just went on a big, long shoot about how disappointing the storyline is for Ashino's character, but at the same time, this is such a good trio. I need them to win. I need um, Sego and Honda to have those belts, the All-Asia belts, immediately. I need Ashino to challenge for the Triple Crown. I just, I, I need it all. Um, I think they all look great together. They really have, I know everyone's calling them either Enfants 2 or Enfants 3.0, uh, but they do have that same vibe. They have that same energy of these two kind of weirdos uh, flanking Ashino, who in himself is also a little bit off. Like he's, he's a little bit of a smug weirdo sometimes. And, sometimes. Uh, he's all the just, time. He's just a dumb jock <laughs> and he's, he's such a weirdo. Uh, but no, it's, it's a really great energy. I would love to see where this is going. I want to see Tachibana and Honda in matching suits um, colored. I think we have agreed that Honda's suit needs to be turquoise. I have it all figured out. This is where my booking comes in uh, to play with this trio. But no, I, I absolutely love this. I think it's going to be really, really fun. I think they're going to be a great trio together and we'll see if anyone else joins the ranks. I like that it's Tachibana for historical purposes. And I, yes. I do like Honda working with Ashino. I feel like ultimately long-term, that will be a good partnership. Honda can learn a lot from Ashino. However, I'm getting the same feeling that I got when Funaki joined Congo, which is that... I don't necessarily understand why you did that. <laughs> so it's like, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. We just watched. We could talk long and hard about that, but we're yeah. not going to do that. <laughs> no, I'm still, I'm still shooting at about that, but that's another discussion for a different day. Um, but I think what I'm getting at is that 
we just like we're not that far removed from Champions Night Three, where Honda and Ashino literally tried to kill each other. Like Honda tried to stab Ashino, and then we got the carnival for them to like have a match together. They showed a little respect, and now Honda's done with Total Eclipse, which we kind of figured something would be happening there. We just thought it would be like him getting rid of Jake, right? We didn't necessarily think that he would leave. But he's done with Total Eclipse, and now he's working with Ashino, and it's like, well, what happened? Like, why Why did, what? what is that? You guys tried to kill each other, but now you're in the same little baby stable why that's what i'm having trouble with connecting in my brain i think i i will i will grow to be fine with this but for right now the logic is lacking for me and that's where i'm um i'm struggling i think the only negative thing about this is ashino said he won't wear sunglasses i think that's fine i think that's perfectly fine no he's enjoying them with sunglasses no he would just lose them yeah he would just lose lose them absolutely he leaves his wrestling gear places he would wear them for one show lose them (laughs) we would ask what happened to them and then he would have to admit on twitter that he left them on a a bench somewhere no i actually i like him without like just within uh the story the look as well is i really like him just sort of flanked by uh his enforcers his weird weird enforcers in sunglasses uh striking poses while he's just being Ashino and little smug little leaning on the ropes it's just a really good look and uh yeah no I do not think he needs sunglasses he does not need to wear them when he had sunglasses when he teamed with uh, Tachibana on the show on the 26th I believe of December I just thought he looked so cool Mm. and so funny I'm like I need that again I need to pose with Tachibana again in sunglasses like that I'm sure it's coming this this is long-term booking to get him in sunglasses (laughs) and with Honda team with Ashino that means he's also now out of Total Eclipse so there's two members so far in one show leaving Total Eclipse and hopefully this means Tachibana is out of the Yoshitatsu kingdom if he was ever in the Yoshitatsu kingdom I don't know (laughs) Yoshitatsu Kingdom is an entirely separate continuity and universe, and there are actually two Tachibanas. <laughs> that's it. That's the that's the theory now. But yes, hopefully he escaped the Tatsuverse, as it is called. The main event of the show saw Kento defeat T Hawk in 24 minutes to retain the Triple Crown Championship. I thought this was really great. Kento had two excellent Triple Crown matches in two weeks, showing that he is the ace. There is no doubt he is the ace. I don't think anyone thought T-Hawk would actually win, but I thought this match was still gripping. And as soon as we got past the Kento special, it really kicked into second gear and just got better and better. And as a note, there was no Kohei Wada as referee, which was weird as he's always the referee for Triple Crown matches. Interesting to know about Wada there for sure. I really liked this match. I thought it was really, really good. I thought that T-Hawk punching Kento in the corner to block Kento's kick was kind of awesome. That popped me in the beginning. Really cool. I will say though about T-Hawk, and I've mentioned this before, I don't get T-Hawk. I still don't get him. And like one of the things that I struggled with in this match is, and and I'm going to say the name of this hold and I hope I am getting it right. I don't know if I'm getting it right. Someone can correct me politely on Twitter if you want. So he does that like STF hold. I think that might be like a leftover like WWE term, but he does that like hold that they all do on Kento. And to me, like it looked not great. There's just so much light in there. Like he's, you can tell he's not holding like Kento like 
his arms are very lax is what I'm getting at. And like Kento is selling for him, but you can tell that Kento doesn't have to do anything to get out of that. And that stuff just bugs me so much. But then 10 seconds later, he got up and like threw Kento right over his head for that German suplex or, you know, whatever you would call that. So I don't know, things like that bug me in the way people's wrestling looks. So I don't know, there's that for, for whatever it's worth, but they did have some really great back and forth exchanges, um, especially when they did that spot where they were doing the, the chops and the forearms, then that knee to the face from T-Hawk to Kento off the ropes, like, holy fucking shit. Like that looked amazing. There were just a lot of really cool spots, especially once you get into the, like the, the second half of this match and Kento was hitting his perfect suplexes in this one too. So like I said, it's, it's a really really good match. I still don't get T-Hawk, but I did like this as a defense for Kento. Their chemistry surprised me. I thought they had a really good chemistry in this match. Uh, The chop sequence was definitely, the chop uh, elbows was definitely my favorite. Just really some nice strikes. And uh, T-Hawk always has really good chops. That's one of the things he's most known for. So that was just really nice to see it sort of shining and probably the best part of the match. It was a good match. um, Definitely overshadowed by the Yuma match. It's kind of um, a detriment of having two triple crown matches in one month, isn't it? That you can't help but uh, compare them. And uh, Kento and T-Hawk sort of uh, suffered for that. But otherwise it was, it was a good match. It was very solid. I was a little bit worried because they did have a match in the Royal Road last year, which was, it was okay. So the worry is, is this just going to be okay? But they, I think they really killed it in this match. After the match, Kento called out his champion night four opponent, Jake Lee. Jake never lost the belt, and Kento said he won a return triple crown, so they must settle this. Kento and Jake will be the main event at Champions Night 4. This is great. Jake is the Champions Night 4 challenger, is what I expected if we are going to get Yuma back for Kento at the Budokan. So this bodes well for that. I don't actually care what people say, to be honest, about their feud on Twitter. This feud isn't done for me. And I know it's not done for the Japanese fans because of their reaction when Jake called, or rather when Kento called Jake out in the venue. You could tell that they were excited about that and that they were they were thrilled to hear it. So this is um, something that is not over and that people do want to see. So I'm excited. I'm always going to be wanting the resolution to this. And again, it it does bode well for what a lot of us want, which is Yuma and Kento at the Budokan. So it helps that this is going to be set up for Champions Night 4. It also helps if you're someone who's hoping that Jake will get into the G1. So timing wise, this all works out pretty well. And I do really hope Jake gets into the G1 ever since uh, Jesse sort of mentioned it and it got teased. I've been hoping for that. But you raise a good point with that crowd reaction. They really were uh, just electric for seeing these two. And for that reason, I actually expected them to be, and I had mentioned this previously, being the main event of the Budokan. So this is very interesting that they're going for champion night four instead, which is still going to be, they need a big draw for it. So absolutely 100% the right choice. But uh, yeah, it makes you wonder who is going to be the main event of the Budokan. And I really do think it might be Yuma, especially after the performance that they gave. I can't think of a better opponent. So we'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to keep our fingers crossed. I'm really happy with this. Like Jake versus Kento is my second favorite feud right now. Like I joined All Japan because of this feud. 
So to them, continuing it, especially because Jake never lost the belt and Jake still hasn't defeated Kento in a triple crown match, one-on-one, I should say. I'm very, very excited for this. So as we said before, during the show, Tajiri and Ricky Honda both sent out tweets saying they had left Hola Clips. But a couple of hours after the show finished, Yuma also sent out a tweet saying he has left Next Dream. He said he forgot to say it while in the ring. And for me, this was a very big shock. I didn't expect it and I couldn't believe it. And I am sad. It is really sad. But I also think it's good because this show really left me with the feeling that the younger guys are, it's their time. And that All Japan is really taking the time to build them. And it's really been my hope for a long time that they're going to build four people in particular. You know, you have Kento, he's already established, but they're going to build Kent, uh, rather Yuma, Jake, and Ashino. And the show leaves you with the impression that that is what they're doing. And then when you have all of the younger guys doing what they're doing in their matches and how well they're performing, like it's really great to see that All Japan is really pushing the younger guys to the forefront and getting them into these feuds and these storylines and moving all these people around. It just, there's a sense of momentum in All Japan right now that is really refreshing and really exciting. Yeah, that's perfectly phrased. It just feels like they're refreshing everything up and building maybe, uh, you had mentioned this, uh, a Four Kings narrative between Ashino, uh, Jake, Yuma, and Kento, which would be incredible. I know you also mentioned maybe a fifth king with uh, Naya Nomura, which would be wonderful if it could happen. Uh, But yeah, I think that's what we're looking at is that the landscape is changing and it will be completely changed by Budokan, which I think is very needed. I think that would be a very wonderful thing to see happen. The way Yuma announced he was leaving is the most Yuma thing. (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, I forgot to say it while I was in the ring. Yeah, I'm, I'm out of next stream. <laughs> it's no biggie. Amazing. He doesn't leave his gear everywhere. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that is, it, it's very heartbreaking uh, to think about the end of these things. But I do think ultimately it will be for the best and it will be really, really good for Yuma as well. We'll be seeing, should Yuma main event the Budokan against Kento, we'll be seeing a little different Yuma. And that's really exciting. And it's nice that next stream is not, and uh, I don't want to get too into it because I talk about this when we address some of our questions, but it's nice that next stream is not just collapsing in on itself and just ending because of Yuma leaving. And it's not just revolving around whatever Kento and Yuma mean to each other in the moment. There is the sense of next stream really functioning as it's supposed to and becoming something more and becoming something that other people can can still be in and exist in outside of whatever's happening with Kento and Yuma. I think that sort of stuff is important. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's good growth. Not every faction has to implode, right? It's nice when we can get to a storyline that doesn't end in a faction imploding and that's the end of it. It's, it's nice when people can kind of seemingly walk away and it's amicable. Oh, and also the fact that he didn't betray Kento. To leave next stream a lot of people thought that was going to happen and i was freaking out that was going to happen but he didn't so i'm glad he didn't do that and he went off on his own he didn't bring otsuki with him uh, as least as far as we know which is um good it's good for otsuki as well to sort of uh, get away from his brother and uh, do his own thing though it would also be interesting to see uh otsuki and hayato's um friendship and team maybe after the uh, all asia 
challenge become a rivalry. We saw some really, really great uh, interactions and things with that. So there's just a lot of interesting things going on with Next Dream that uh, could either lead to more in even stronger, bigger faction, or it does turn into something else. It's, it's just hard to say, but uh, I think Alicia's right where it's nice that it just isn't imploding. So with all that drama happening, here are the factions at the end of May. Next stream is Kento Mihara, Rising Haito, and Aski Aoyagi. Total Eclipse is Jake Lee, Hokuto Amore, Yusuke Kodama, Koji Doa, and Kuma Arashi. Evolution is Dan Tamora and Hikaru Sato. Fudu Murders is Toshizo, Suwama, Taru, Kono, and Minoru. Unnamed Faction is Shotaro Ishino, Ruki Honda, and Sego Tachibana. Ishino said backstage he's unsure of the name after being asked if it's the new Onfonts. Twin Towers is Suji Ishikawa and Kore Sato. No faction or the main unit is Yuma Oyagi, Takao More, Black Manso Rei, Izanagi, Ryu Inoue, Ryome Sukumoto, Tajiri, Kabe Uto, June and Rei Sato, who are in America on excursion. And the Yoshi Tattoo Kingdom is Yoshi Tatsu and all of us, I guess. We're all in the Yoshi Tattoo verse. Congratulations. Everybody listening is now in the Yoshitatsu Kingdom faction. But these all could change after the June tour. And now for May moments. So the Jumbo Saruta Memorial Show was held on the 31st of May. The main event was all former Triple Crown champions. It was Kento Miyahara, Jun Akiyama, and Minoru Suzuki facing off against Jake Lee, Takao Amori, and our special guest ex-mystery opponent, was Joe Doring. Joe had some words for Suwama in a video that was posted to Twitter. He questioned why Suwama had joined Voodoo Murders and reminded everyone that Joe is original evolution. Also at the memorial, Yuji Nagata was in the match with Suwama, which was a part of the co-main event. And at the end, Sato and Dan joined forces with Nagata. So Nagata will be in all Japan helping out evolution. So it looks like they have a couple friends after all to maybe take on Sawama and hopefully get him back. We'll see. Also at the memorial show, Yuma and Shingo were comparing trophy sizes. Yuma brought the champion carnival trophy he recently won, while Shingo with his tiny King of Pro Wrestling trophy. It was a very funny moment. Shingo played it up and it was perfect. On May 23rd was the Hanakimura Memorial Show, Bagus in which Sego Tachibana and Shotaro Ashino represented Wrestle One, teaming together in the Tag Team Battle Royal. It was a fantastic show, fantastic match. They were very, very funny together. Um, it was really, really great to see, especially if you are a fan of Enfant's style uh, Ashino. I had actually tweeted that I would love to see more of that Ashino, and that's what I ended up getting um, later in the month. But I do definitely recommend checking out that show. Jake is desperate to participate in the G1, going as far as to tag Tanahashi and retweeting anyone who mentions him being in the G1. A nice thing now is Evolution Girls are finally back on track. There was a press conference held where they announced Suwama and Suji Ishikawa will be producers. The website is launched and at the time they are looking for trainees. Suwama said the wrestling will be all Japan-like and he has big hopes that one day Evolution Girls will be on the same level as the current stardom roster and one day maybe even move into their territory. It's very big goals, but why not? 
If stardom is a number one Joshi promotion, then why not aim for that level? And last thing is, with all the faction drama, it really feels like All Japan is hitting the reset button. They seem to be focusing on younger talent while still keeping their top trio, Jake, Yuma, and Kento, in the spotlight. Question time. Cal and Marion asks, is next stream still stable and should Drake trust Yuma? Well, so far, it seems like they're still stable. Should Jake trust Yuma? Why not? <laughs> Jake, Yuma came to Jake saying, let's be a team. It wasn't really Jake trying to team up with Yuma. I don't think Yuma has ill intentions so far, so I don't think... There's no reason not to trust him. So yeah, as far as we know, definitely still is stable. We'll see where everyone continues to land because I don't think that they're going to be done shuffling units for a while. But until they say otherwise, next stream still exists. I think this is ultimately a good thing because like I was saying before, now next stream isn't tied to just Kento and Yuma and whatever the relationship to each other stands at any given time. The second question is really interesting because they've both given themselves a certain reputation as far as factions go. So I'm not sure they can trust each other, but that's why this very shaky truce between them is so compelling. I do think Yuma wanting to tag with him and quote unquote, liven up all Japan with Jake is genuine. And his comments do tie into that core meaning of next stream. And when you balance those comments against what he's saying about Nomura, it does make sense. So Yuma at least has all of that going for him. I think it's more interesting if they don't trust each other. I'll just leave it at that. Um, It'd be interesting to see them team, but still um, both sort of being willing to sort of step on each other to get to that top spot and to get to Kento uh, would just be very, very compelling. And as far as the first question, yeah, I think Next Dream is going to be sticking around for a little bit. I don't think they're going to be falling apart. Um, It's hard to tell off of... uh, merch sells what the bookers are going to do but their merch is very popular so uh fingers crossed that next stream will stay together dragon is back asks is there any chance of takuya namora versus kento for the triple crown in the future i don't see why not both takuya and t-hawk both said they want the triple crown t-hawk had his shot so why not give one to namora i, I want to say that to be honest i would love to see this too however I think you could also save Nomura for hopefully Yuma's reign after he wins at the Budokan. They had a great carnival match and that could be a standout defense for Yuma. I'd obviously be happy with either matchup, but if we do end up with triple crown champion Yuma after September, that is actually what I would rather save Yuma for, or rather save Nomura for. I agree. Nomura and, uh, and Yuma feel like the bigger match. Uh, somehow it's just, it's better chemistry. I just would rather see it, but either way, I just, we've talked about it on the last episode, how badly we would love to see Takio Nomura come back to all Japan and hang out for a little bit. And I can't think of a better reason than to challenge for the triple crown. Dark Whalebone wants to know what we think Yusuke <laughs> Kodama's gimmick is. I said it before on the show, he's just a creepy gremlin. Like, he kind of creeps the kids out in the front row on purpose. I don't know how to talk about his character other than he's a creepy gremlin. No, I always describe him as a strange little swamp lizard. There's actually a picture of a lizard that I have saved on my computer that is just what Kodama looks like to me. I will have to link it um, when this show goes live because that is, to me, what his gimmick is. He's just a strange little lizard man and he's a 
little goblin, just like you said, and he's wonderful. I'm thrilled by this question. I love to talk about Yusuke Kodama. <laughs> just a horrible little man. Didn't we know someone that described him as like a zombie or something? Who did we know that described Smiley. him as something like that? It was Smiley, right? Smiley. Yep. Yeah. Smiley described him as a zombie. Smiley said zombie. And I think that's a very apt comparison as well. It's a really good um, artist who loves Kodama and draws him a lot and drew him as like a uh, swamp familiar of like a witch, which I thought was really cool. Some really cool artistry there made him very spooky. Uh, So I think there's a lot of interpretation, but I think at the end of the day, creepy gremlin is probably the best way to say it. Kodama is Kodama and he is for everybody. You take him as take him as he is. The one thing that might be confusing about his gimmick is his theme music. It doesn't match his personality <laughs> at all. So as soon as he fixes that, he would be perfect, 100%. Smiling Wizard asks, where do we think the Voodoo Murder story is leading? They guess Voodoo Murders will stay to at least the Champion Night 4 show. Okay, so <laughs> when Suama first broke up Ronobi Suplex and Shotaro was on the outs, but then embraced by Sato and Dan, I thought this was just going to lead to a big match at Budokan with Ashino and Suwama, with Ashino going over, which for me would have been a way to close this chapter of Shotaro needing to work with Suwama to build himself up in all Japan. But with Shotaro seemingly starting his own faction and being done with evolution, runaway suplex, the whole thing, I don't know where we stand with any of that. Uh, like very recently Suwama was still tweeting that like he that he wants to get back at basically Dan and he's he's mentioned all three of them Dan Sato and Ashino so I don't know where this is all going to spin out I'm still fairly confident that voodoo murders won't be long term and while I think it would be great if we could have them wrapped up by Oda Ward, like I've said before, I do see them sticking around through the Budokan. I just can't say to what end that will be and who's going to get the big match with Suwama as a result, especially now that we know that like Jake is now spinning into this whole thing with Suwama, which to be fair, they've been teasing since Champions Night 3. And I do have a lot of hope that this is going to be a way for them to elevate Dan and uh, Sato will continue to look like a star through this and perhaps removing Ashino is better for all of this as he's doing really well on his own and doesn't really seem to need Suwama anymore and where he is right now in all Japan but <sighs> I don't know that that's kind of where I've landed it, it made a lot more sense before they made this move to give Ashino his own stable again now that makes me uncertain as to where this is supposed to go and who exactly is going to be the one that gets the big blow-off match with Suwama because you know that's coming. I just can't say who it's going to be with, but I just have the feeling that this, they're going to play this out until the Budokan. I think you're right, but I don't want you to be right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't right. like Rudy Murders. Um, I, I lost interest in New Japan because of all the interference. And I really don't want to lose interest in all Japan because of the interference that Voodoo Murders will bring in to the show. I don't mind a little here and there, but it's just every single match is going to be. And the scary thing is Suwama said he is with Voodoo Murders to get back to the top of all Japan. And I hope that's not true. I don't want to see another Suwama reign. I love Suwama, but I don't want to see Voodoo Murders on the top of all Japan. So... For me, I think the story is leading, just like Alicia said, 
but I don't hope it is. I mean, there's something to be said, especially for what Alicia was talking about with um, having that big blow off being Jake and Suwama, especially in Champion Night 3, that match was mostly a showcase of Voodoo Murder Suwama and Jake. So maybe that's the grand scheme that we're getting to. And there was actually a point to that the entire time would be a little wild. But yeah, I think think Alicia's on to something with the Budokan, which isn't great. Hopefully it doesn't turn into an all-out war with Voodoo Murders versus the entire roster. That would be rather dreadful. Like you said, Jesse, just every single match. But we'll, uh, I'll hang on until the Budokan before I uh, get really upset with, uh, with Voodoo Murders. Zavi says, add any four freelancers or flat hour people not signed to the All Japan roster. One heavyweight and three juniors was our condition. This question collectively broke our brains and we don't like any wrestlers and we don't watch any <laughs> wrestling. So thanks a lot, Zavi, for that. <laughs> for me... Like in theory, my answer could be Kotaro Suzuki four times, but for sure, one of my answers is Kotaro Suzuki. And really this question like ruined my life because I realized just how boring I am. Like in theory, all of my answers could be people who have worked for All Japan already. So there's that, but definitely Kotaro Suzuki because there's never going to be a time where I don't want him to go to All Japan and work with those guys. He could have some outstanding matches there with Sato alone. I mean, that's always like a match I'm going to want to see. And then to think about the types of matches he could have with people like Atsuki and Hayato, like those are excellent matches. And he could also teach those guys a lot too. So I'm going to lead off with Kotaro first. They should just sign Kodama as a junior. Why not? He's always at every, like, <laughs> they could three, just three. sign the people that already show up. Here. Yeah, yeah. All the free. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect answer. Oh my God. Um, I'm going to say for heavyweight, this is like a really sentimental one. I would say Kenta because I love that Mara Fuji got to win the world junior heavyweight championship. And then that led to him and Kenta having uh, one of the more important singles matches from their set of singles matches, their draw, champion v. champion. And I also love that Marafuji got to come back and win champion carnival. And those things are really meaningful because he, he started his career in all Japan before they all went to Noah. And that's the same thing for Kenta. I love that Kanemaru got to come back and have the same experience as well and win the world junior heavyweight championship for the same reason. So for me to have Kenta come back and perform in all Japan and, you know, I would love to see him as triple crown champion personally, like that would be really cool because he began his career in all Japan, but didn't get to have those experiences because they immediately left for Noah. So that's my heavyweight choice. My heavyweight choice is Masa Kitamiya. Just, yeah. just, get, just get him out of there. Just free him. But no, I think he'd, he'd do really well over there. Uh, my junior weights, I tried to pick some uh, younger guys from other promotions. I would like to see uh, from DDT, maybe going over there or doing an excursion. Um, Hideki Okatani, I think would be phenomenal. Um, Yuya Kuroku has been really impressive lately. I said recently that he looks like a fusion of Junakiyama and Endo Tetsuya. Um, he's just been doing really, really well under their tutelage. And I think he'd do really well in all Japan. 
And then I also really like to see um, Yu Izaka from Glate uh, hanging out over there. Um, he'd have some really interesting matches and I think he and Sato would have a really good time working together. So I'd like to see those three. I'd like to see Okatani and Kuroku too. I mean, they're Jun Akiyama disciples and it shows yep. in their work. So by that alone, they would do really well in all Japan. Yeah, I'm going to be very, very selfish and say bring back Nomura. Even though he left last year, let him like sign him to the company. Let him team with Yuma. Yuma's been teasing something. Just bring him back. You could bring back um, his little tag team he's got going on right now in Gone Pro with uh, mm. Watasu Mizuki. And uh, it's a really cool, I haven't watched any other stuff, but Real Blood is a really cool name for a tag team. Oh, it's uh, sick. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that awesome. the list? Yeah. yeah. I, I want to see Real Blood in... Uh, all Japan show Voodoo murders what a uh, real blood looks like. There we go. But uh, that would be fun. And one last thing, also very selfish on me. I want uh, Fuminori Abe to come back. Just sign him for one day. Let him have a match again with Hikaru Sato, and then you can release him. Like I just need no, to see. You're that the Booker. No, he's but he should be forever. everywhere. Let him be everywhere. <laughs> I like that. Like literally every promotion you look, he's there. And I guess Nomura is like not not now yet, but. Takuya Nomura too should probably be in uh, our heavyweight list as well. But I went with my sentimental choice. I like your sentimental choice. Mm-hmm. I would also love to see Nomura, uh, Takuya Nomura hanging out in all Japan. I'm very fond of his attachment to uh, big Japan. So I feel guilty ripping him away. Yeah. Um, I, I also almost said um, Hayato Fujita, um, <laughs> Hayato Jr. Fujita, for the, but for the same reasons. I couldn't take him away from M-Pro because he loves it so much. So, <laughs> New Year, same old Patrick, wants to know our thoughts on Joe Doring possibly coming back. Fuck yeah. That's my first thought. <laughs> oh, yeah. My second thought is I would absolutely love Joe to be involved in exercising the demon that is in Suwama right now. That would be dope. He is original evolution, Joe Rocks. I'm always going to want him to be back full time or at least for long stints because I do think that he adds so much to the roster still I think there's a lot that can be done with him so fuck yeah I'd love to see Joe back in in a ring in all Japan couldn't agree more I would love to see him around I would love to see him around full time but even if he was just uh hanging around for three months to the Budokan I think that would be phenomenal um and again maybe he'll get the blow-off match with Sawama what about that um, no, that would be <laughs> no. Now it has to be Jake. <laughs> no, I don't care if it's Jake. I actually, I don't know what I want, but I think it would be disappointing if Joe, who is not like signed to the roster, leapfrogged all the people that are like there dealing with Suama on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. He's not allowed to save Suama's soul and then just leave. <laughs> yeah, because Suama's still annoying and still grumpy and insufferable when he's a good guy too he can't just get that back and then then go away no I would love to see him stick around yeah I agree I don't know why they don't have him stick around I mean they brought voodoo murders back they should bring Joe back they should bring a couple other people back for their 50th anniversary and Joe would be perfect I mean the crowd love him so bring him back (laughs) Andre asks based on his current trajectory is Yuma going to the Kimiya role or is his role to Ace Hood different from guys like Kimia, Okada, Hangman, etc.? If he does go down the classic Ace route, who among his peers would likely be his rival? 
This is such an interesting question. And I think you can draw some parallels between them as super rookies, perhaps. They're also very close in age. Yuma is older by a few months. Both were made by their respective promotions and both have a connection to a senior. Although Yuma actually got to work with Akiyama, Kaito's connection to someone like Misawa is more spiritual, so to speak. It could be a little soon to say how comparable he is to Kaito, but I don't think that Yuma has or will ever get the Okada treatment as those parallels belong to Kento. So in terms of his rivals within All Japan Pro Wrestling, I want them to build to ideally five kings, so to speak. It would be Kento, Jake, Yuma, Shotaro, and Naoyanomura. And these five should revolve around each other. They should go through periods where they work together, but that is the ideal group to me. So really it's, it's hard for me to, I think they're comparable and they're also not comparable. Yuma and Kaito. There's some more surfacey things that I can see in them, but in terms of their trajectory, they are rather different. Yeah, I agree. The structure is a little different here, isn't it? Where it feels like the ace role as we know it, the traditional ace role of uh, like what Kiyomiya is growing into, where Okada is. Uh, I'll talk about Hangman in just a second, is already been filled by Kento. So now you have Yuma filling in this rivalry role and you have Jake as well. And hopefully Shotaro and um, possibly Nomura going off of uh, Yuma's tweets, filling in these roles into a much larger structure, more similar to what we know as sort of the four pillars rather than a simple ace and rival trying to become the ace that's not to say that Yuma can't be an ace. I just think that we could have multiple aces. And so therefore the comparison isn't really one-to-one. I honestly think he's probably more similar to Hangman. I don't really see Hangman as an ace either, but his storyline of Adam finding himself and coming into his own and seeing himself in the shadow of Kenny Omega and having to rise above that is more similar to where Yuma is, where he is finding himself both tagging with Kento and then without Kento and finding himself in and out of the shadow until he can finally stand on his own equal to equal, which is where he is now. Uh, So I'd say he's probably closer to the hangman role than he would be to the you know, Kaito or Okada role. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think it's just a different structure. I think Yuma might be going down the Kento role. And what I mean by that is Kento was made by the old ace, which was Suwama. And Kento, as the current ace, could make or break Yuma's career. So if he follows that step, that means Kento would put Yuma over, give him the role of the new ace, while Kento kind of moves into the older ace. To your point, that is probably where Kaito is with Goshiyazaki. That's true. That's a really, really good point. I always forget that there is actually quite an age difference between uh, Yuma and Kento. You don't really feel it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas with uh, Shiyazaki and Kaito, you really, really feel that generational gap between them, Uh, especially like their latest match, which you had just watched Alicia. 
um, felt a lot different than, you know, the Yuma Kento match, both great matches, but um, yeah, it, it, you have a really good point there, Jesse. I didn't even think about that, that you might be uh, seeing Kento making Yuma as we speak. So there is a, there is a bit, I guess there is a bit of Kaito there. I take back just a little bit of what I said, but only a little bit. And um, with his rival, it's always going to be Kento, like his number one rival. I can go on the history of Kento and Yuma for hours. I might hijack Kick Out 299 just to do an episode. <laughs> Look, Please. Alicia and Rachel out of it. Absolutely. <laughs> Pitch us at It'll be me crying at about 299 it. at gmail.com. No, we always have space for you, Jesse. <laughs> but Jake will be there, obviously. Ashino is being built up. I think giving him his own faction is really lifting him lifting him up to the same level as Yuma and Kento. Nomura, I would love it. I would love him to come back and be part of that. I'm not sure if that will happen, but fingers crossed it will. And he and Yuma will be rivals. Coming up in June. June is the start of Dynamite series and the big Champions Night 4 show. Champions Night 4 is already starting to take shape. And we have Kento versus Jake for the Triple Crown. Sato versus Tiger Mask for the junior heavyweight belt. Twin Towers versus Ashino and Honda for the world tag team belts. And in non-championship matches, so far we have Dan and Yuji Nagata versus Suama and Taru. And we also have Yuma versus Suji Kondo. Also in June, Minoru Suzuki returns to All Japan since the first time since 2013. He did appear on an All Japan slash Amazon Japanese show but you cannot watch that if you live outside of Japan and it's not on AJPW.TV, so I don't really count it. So I have a prediction, and it's pretty simple. Who will win at Champions Night 4, Kento or Jake? I am going to say that Kento's going to retain because I really cannot see them taking the title from him before the Budokan. I think he has to walk into the Budokan as champion because it's the 50th year and because this reign is going really well. And... I do still believe, and maybe it's just manifestation at this point, but I do believe that Yuma will challenge him there and that that will lead to something really significant. So in order to do that, Jake's got to lose at Champions Night 4, and that's going to leave me with some really weird mixed feelings, but I do think something good can come of that for Jake as well. So my prediction is that Kento will retain. Yeah, my money's on Kento. Um, I want to see this continue with uh jake and kento their rivalry where jake just can't get that win i want to see that bitterness i want to see jake go into the g1 develop himself even more develop that bitterness and just come back swinging and eventually find a way to get that win um i just i i think that he has a lot more building to do i think he's a phenomenal wrestler but a lot of his uh, character needs a lot of soul searching at the moment. And I think this is the best way to do that. So uh, sorry, Jake, I love you, but Kento's got this. Yeah, we're all in agreement. I don't see anybody else walking to that Budokan show apart from Kento as a champion. I, of course, I want Jake to win. I want him to get that win over Kento, but I don't want it to be at Champions Night 4, unfortunately. I would like to see Jake go after another belt. He can go after the Goro TV title belt. He did be the champion Eerie in the champion carnival. So why not get that belt, build that belt up? Because that belt desperately needs building up. Thank you for listening to Talking Triple Crown. I very much appreciate all the support. 
You can find me on Twitter at Sister Jessie and Royal Road 72. And you can find us, Alicia and Rachel, on Twitter at Kickout299. And you can find me, Rachel, at Milky Star. That's M I I K Y Star. You can find me, Alicia, at Shuranui Kai with two eyes. And please help us out by giving us a five-star rating or subscribing to us or following us on your preferred platform. We are trying to grow Talking Triple Crown and Kick Out, and it really helped us out if you do that. So please do that if you haven't done so already. We are very grateful for you all, and thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode and look out for our big June episode coming soon.